Welcome to Celebrate Poe. My name is George Bartley, and this is episode 138, The Most Valuable American Book. Stay with this podcast episode to learn how one of Mr. Poe's least successful publications became the most valuable book ever written by an American. By the way, the music for the intro and outro for this podcast episode is from Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. And just as scheduled, here comes the ghost of Mr. Poe. After several weeks of podcast episodes about the celebration of Halloween as it relates to Edgar Allan Poe, this podcast is returning to Mr. Poe's youthful years. Now, several months after Poe concluded his studies at the University of Virginia, he decided, somewhat surprisingly, to go to the city of Boston. Uh, Mr. Poe, would you share with us why you might have decided to go to Boston? Certainly, Mr. Bartley. I believe that a part of me realized that I did not have a future in Richmond, certainly in John Allen's counting house. Living in Boston was my first independent venture, and I felt there was some sort of poetic sentiment in returning to my place of birth. As some of you may know, my mother left me a watercolor with an inscription on the back. The inscription was, For my little son Edgar, who should ever love Boston, the place of his birth, and where his mother found her best and most sympathetic friends. I saw this as a good omen, that Boston might be an agreeable place for my literary talents. Mr. Poe, not to mention the fact that uh, Boston had uh, somewhat of a reputation as a literary and publishing center. Yes, Mr. Bartley, I I did enroll in the United States Army as a a private soldier, giving my name as Edgar A. Perry, that I was born in Boston and was 22 years old. I gave my occupation as a clock or clock and was assigned to Battery Battery H of the 1st Artillery in Fort Independence, Boston Harbor. Uh, Mr. Poe, perhaps you were not entering a career in the Army from any real liking for a soldier's life. You see, uh, after uh, you realized that uh, you were never going to be John's heir, or John Allen's heir, you might have decided to leave Richmond and establish a new identity. Oh, well, yes, Mr. Botley, perhaps I simply did not want any connection to John Allen to become a parent. I was 17 years old at the time and somewhat underage for the Army. Yes, Mr. Poe, it's fair enough, but I somehow thought your Army days occurred later in your life. Oh, 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 Mr. Bartley, the majority of my years in the Army certainly did occur later, such as my days at Sullivan's Island and, of course, at West Point. And I certainly will talk about them later when appropriate. But I just wanted to mention my initial encounters with the Army now for chronological purposes. That certainly is fair. 
Yes, Mr. Bartley, uh, this enlistment in the army was somewhat of an interruption to the beginning of the great business of my life, my passion, and my purpose. In this case, the publication of my first volume of poems. You see, I published a small collection of poems in 1827 called Tamerlane and Other Poems. Many people have said that I thought the publication would be accepted more if I emphasized my Boston connection. So, I did not have it printed with my name. After all, I was completely an unknown in the literary world. But, as Tamerlane and other poems by a Bostonian. I still find it most curious that instead of your name under the title, the publisher printed by a Bostonian. Mr. Bartley, I did have the fondest of memories regarding my mother and shared her warm sentiments regarding Boston. Also, the phrase by a Bostonian might have been a tactic that prevented John Allen from finding out my identity or whereabouts. One also might say that I was making the most of my fragile connections with my birthplace. So, Mr. Poe, for the rest of this podcast episode, I'd like to examine some of the other poems in the title, Tamerlane and Other Poems, and specifically look at the work Tamerlane in the next episode. And for purposes of brevity, I tried to stick to to uh, the poems that were 20 lines or less. So if you're listening out there, don't think that a poem today is going to go on forever. Uh, yes, that, that division is certainly amenable to me. Now, now, I must admit that those other poems perhaps savor too much of egotism but they were written by one too young to have any knowledge of the world but from his own breast. One might say that these poems presented me as a solitary figure who was faced with some unnamed, transforming childhood event. To this end, I adopted some of the common themes of the day, including imagery of heavenly bliss and angelic beauty. Mr. Poe, that, that's an interesting evaluation. And while it can be somewhat dangerous to view a literary work largely from the standpoint of biography or the writer's personal experiences, I can't help but think of Miss Elmira Royster during her wedding to Mr. Shelton uh, when you wrote that you saw her on her wedding day. Not that you were there physically, but you saw her there emotionally. Ideas that would have inspired the first poem in this episode. Yes, Mr. Bartley. I saw thee on the bridal day when a burning blush came o'er thee. Though happiness around thee lay, the world all love before thee. And in thine eye the kindling light of young passion free was all on earth, my chained sight of loveliness might see. That blush, I ween, was maiden shame, as such it well may pass, though its glow hath raised a fiercer flame in the breast of him, alas. 
who saw thee on that bridal day with that deep blush would come o'er thee, though happiness around thee lay, the world all love before thee. My personal favorite in Tamerlane, Mr. Poe, uh, is, uh, well, I should say Tamerlane in other poems, is a poem called Visit of the Dead. This same spooky poem, as I understand it, was later published as Spirits of the Dead. Visit of the Dead. Thy soul shall find itself alone, alone of all on earth. Unknown the cause, but none are near to pry into thine hour of secrecy. Be silent in that solitude which is not loneliness, for then the spirits of the dead who stood in life before thee are again in death around thee, and their will shall then o'ershadow thee. Be still, for the night, though clear, shall frown and the stars shall look not down from their thrones in the dark heaven with light like hope to mortals given, but their red orbs without beam to thy withering heart shall seem as a burning and a fever which would cling to thee forever, but will leave thee as each star in the morning light afar will fly thee and vanish. But its thought Thou canst not banish. The breath of God will be still. And the mist upon the hill by that summer breeze unbroken shall charm thee as a token and a symbol which shall be secrecy in thee. I also like a poem from Tamerlane and other poems by the name of Evening Star. Mr. Poe? Yes. T'was noontime of summer and midtime of night, and stars in their orbits shone pale through the light of the brighter cold moon mid planets, her slaves, herself in the heavens, her beam on the waves. I gazed a while on her cold smile, too cold, too cold for me. There passed as a shroud of this fleecy cloud, and I turned to thee, proud evening in the glory afar, and dearer thy beam shall be, for joy to my heart is the proud part thou bearest in heaven at night and more I admire thy distant fire than that colder, lowly light. The poem A Dream Follows Evening Star. It almost sounds as though you were getting ready for more complex works, such as A Dream Within a Dream. A Dream, a, a wilder being from my birth, my spirit, spurned control, but now abroad on the wide earth, where wanderest thou, my soul? In visions of the dark night, I have dreamed of joy departed, but a waking dream of life and light hath left me broken-hearted. And what is not a dream by day to him whose eyes are cast on things around him with a ray turned back upon the past? 
that holy dream, that holy dream, while all the world were chiding, hath cheered me as a lovely beam, a lonely spirit guiding. What though that light through misty night so dimly shone afar, what could there be more purely bright in truth's day star? You know, Mr. Poe, in The Happiest Day, you seem to write about happiness that is somehow always elusive. Yes, Mr. Bartley. The Happiest Day. The happiest day, the happiest hour, my seared and blighted heart hath known. The highest hope of pride and power I feel hath flown. Of power, said I, yes, such I ween, but they that have vanished long, alas, the visions of my youth have been, but let them pass. And pride, what have I now with thee? Another brow may even inherit the venom thou hast poured on me. Be still, my spirit. The happiest day, the happiest hour mine eyes shall see have ever seen the brightest glance of pride and power I feel have been. But were that hope of pride and power now offered with the pain, even then I felt that brightest hour I would not live again. For on its wing was dark alloy, as, and as it fluttered, fell an essence powerful to destroy a soul that knew it well. And Mr. Poe, finally in the lake, you seem to write about such disparate subjects as youth, loneliness, delight, terror, and death. The lake. In youth's spring, it was my lot, a, a hand of the wide world, a spot, the which I could not love the less, so lovely was the loneliness of a wild lake. With the black rock bound, and the tall pines that towered around, but when the night hath thrown her pall upon that spot as upon all, and the wind would pass me by in its stilly melody, my infant spirit would awake to the terror of the lone lake. Yes, that terror was not fright, but a tremulous delight, and a feeling undefined springing from a darkened mind. Death was in that poisoned wave, and in its gulf a fitting grave for him who thence could solace bring to his dark imagining, whose wilding thought could ever make an Eden of that dim lake. Now, Mr. Poe, we will no doubt discuss in the next podcast episode, by far the longest poem in Tamerlane and other poems, the poem Tamerlane itself. In its first form, Tamerlane contained 406 lines. In the final reversion, it contained only 234 lines. Now, Mr. Poe, uh, when was the final revision published? Mr. Bartley, that would be 800, uh, uh, 1845, uh, a few years before my earthly demise.
Yes, today it is believed that only 12 copies of Tamerlane and other poems still exist. There are certainly more valuable books in the world, such as the Gutenberg Bible and Shakespeare's First Folio, but Tamerlane and other poems is considered the most valuable book ever written by an American for several main reasons. One, Poe did not live long enough to write a great deal, so his works are relatively few and that that much more valuable. Two, distribution of the original Tamerlane was limited to 50 copies, so there are really only a handful of copies, uh, copies of Tamerlane and other poems in existence. Three, as Poe's first publication, Tamerlane and other poems has special literary significance. Now, it seems that each location that has a copy of the valuable Tamerlane and other poems has its own story. Uh, uh, there are many of them, and it would take quite a while uh, to list them all and, you know, their developments. But I'd like to mention a copy uh, that has a connection to the Lilly Library, uh, a library that's a few miles down the road at Indiana University. This copy was from the collection of Josiah K. Lilly and was officially discovered in 1925. The list of prior owners of this copy is as follows. One, unknown, apparently in New Hampshire and was sold at an auction about 1919, perhaps for $11,500. Two, William F. Sullivan in Nashua, New Hampshire. Three, Charles Elliott Goodspeed. Mr. Goodspeed was a Boston bookseller and purchased a copy of Tamerlane and other poems in 1926 for $20,000. Then, four, Josiah Kirby Lilly Jr. He purchased the same copy from Mr. Goodspeed on October the 31st, 1928 for $25,000. And finally, Mr. Lilly donated that copy of Tamerlane and other poems to Indiana University in 1964. In December 2009, a fairly worn original copy of Tamerlane and other poems sold at Christie's Auction House in New York for a whopping $662,000. This was a record auction price for a piece of American literature. Mr. Bartley, unfortunately, I never experienced during my earthly life similar financial rewards, and I must admit that I was quite disappointed when Tamerlane and Other Poems was first published because it was virtually ignored and received very little critical attention of any kind. Mr. Poe, perhaps the American reading public was more interested, unfortunately, in fiction than poetry. That, that is a most excellent and succinct observation, Mr. Bartley. I can see now that while Tamerlane and other poems suffered from a lack of attention, one might say that it gave me the confidence to continue writing. And, Mr. Poe, you might be interested that the uh, great biographer Arthur Hobson Quinn wrote about Tamerlane and other poems. The perfection which marked Poe's great lyrics was, of course, not yet present, but the promise was there. 
and I certainly hold Dr. Quinn in the highest esteem. Yes, Mr. Poe, uh, and uh, Poe scholar Harry, Harry Lee Poe, uh, a, a distant relative of, relative of yours and a man who has agreed to be a guest on this podcast, wrote in 2008 that Tamerlane and other poems did not include great poetry. However, he added, it was the trumpet blast announcing that a new poet had stepped upon the stage. And with those observations, permit me to take my leave. In the introduction to Tamerlane and other poems, Poe does claim that he had written the poems when he was only 14 years old. Whether or not this is strictly true is certainly debatable. Poe was not above stretching the truth, however. Now, if you remember anything from this podcast, I hope that you remember that Tamerlane and other poems, which first sold for 12 and a half cents, is now considered by many experts to be the most valuable book ever written by an American. Next week, Celebrate Poe will take a look at some of the possible sources for the title poem Tamerlane in an episode called Where Did He Get That Idea? A lot more interesting than it might sound. This podcast episode deals with subjects ranging from the English playwright Christopher Marlowe to the Richmond Theater Fire, a terrifying event that has been called the first major disaster in American history. The ghost of Mr. Poe and I will, will also talk about some of the similarities and surprising differences between Poe's Tamburlaine and the real Tamburlaine. In a future episode, I also want to take a look at some of the fascinating stories behind a man who found a copy of Tamerlane and other poems in his attic, as well as the unsolved mystery behind a stolen copy of the book at the Alderman Library at the University of Virginia. Sources include Tamerlane and Other Poems by Edgar Allan Poe, Poe, uh, a Critical Biography by author Hobson Quinn, Edgar A. Poe, Mournful and Never-Ending Remembrance by Kenneth Silverman, and A Census of Copies of Tamerlane and Other Poems from the Edgar Allan Poe Society of Baltimore website. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe, a deep dive into the life, times, and works of America Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe.